Acts chapter 3. Now in, in verse 1. Now when Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, a and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them which entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms, or an, a giving, an offering? And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's Greatly Wandering. We'll stop there just for this morning, taking our title from verse 10, Wonder and Amazement. Wonder and Amazement. This passage truly is full of wonder and amazement. That word wonder means dumbfounded and astonished. Amazement, blended fear and wonder. Wonder and amazement. May we see into God's word and recall the wonder and amazement of our own salvation and see the wonder and amazement of salvation to all those that God grants faith, repentance, and trust in Jesus Christ. As we break this message down, we're going to see at least seven things. You're going to see some faithful men, a feeble man, some fastened eyes, a command of fame, a full recovery, a finding most wonderful and amazing, and a favorable time for the gospel. Let's see at the first here, some faithful men. You see again in verse 1, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple, at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. So these faithful men, the time of prayer, it was noticed that there were at least three times a day at the, at the lighting of incense that they, that they would come in for prayer. Uh, and this, this is seen uh, through the Old Testament. Look, if you would, please, in a couple places. In the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 6 and verse 10, page 888, um, and for those who have a, the same Bible as I do, uh, Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel knew that the, that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows were open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. And he kneeled down his knee, upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Now looking at Psalm chapter 55, 
Psalm chapter 55. I'm going to piece a couple ideas together here, and we'll see it played out in, in the book of Acts. And Psalm 55 and verse 17. Evening and morning, and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. So says the psalmist, David. So if you see in the text, it says it was in the ninth hour, uh, which would, would the third hour would be at 9 a.m., the sixth hour would be at noon, and the ninth hour would be at 3 p.m. You, you see here they're at the ninth hour. In Acts chapter, Acts chapter 2 and verse 15, when speaking of these men that were gathered together and they were they were speaking in tongues the wonderful works of God, Acts chapter 2 and verse 15, now these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing that it is but the third hour of the day. So they were they were gathered together there. And in Acts chapter 10 and verse 9, you're going to see the sixth hour. Okay, so morning, noon, and evening. They gathered together, and it was their routine to do so. Acts chapter 10 and verse 9. It says, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So it was the it was customary for the Jews to pray three times a day, at least three times a day, morning, noon, and evening. So you see that in this time of prayer that Peter and John were had committed themselves to, to times of prayer. And they, they went up at the hour of prayer. They were committed unto prayer. Now, were they under the Old Testament bondage still going up to the temple? No, they had been going to the temple daily testifying of the wonderful works of God and Jesus Christ. But this is where they went to pray. And they went there to pray being faithful men unto the Lord. They went there to pray and to give full demonstration of their trust of the name or reputation of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we saw in the reading, when they went there, they adjured that man in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth to rise up and walk. So their focus was not on the letter of the law, but giving praise and glory unto the Lord God Almighty. They were faithful in prayer. So I would encourage you, children of God, to continue in faithfulness and prayer, but also do that going and doing. Uh, yes, we should rely on the Lord in all things that he would that he would fulfill his, his will among us, but he has chosen his people to be his servants and, and to work out his will among men, you see. Peter and John, they could have stayed at home and prayed, but they went to where the people were, which was at the temple, honoring God in prayer. Are we supposed to go to the temple and pray three times a day? Are we supposed to come into this place and pray three, pray three times a day? It wouldn't hurt you if you did, but that's not where I'm getting with this. We should be prayerful people, but we should also be prayerful going and doing people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, these faithful men, you see that Peter and John were, as they say, buds. They were people that, that just liked being together and worshiping God together. And I, while they, the two of them, in an isolated sense, were not the church, the church at that time was at, at least 3,120. Uh, but they were, they were tightly joined together. They were knit together, you could say, as children of God, loving one another and enjoyed serving the Lord together. At the time of the Lord's, um, at the time of the Lord's uh, resurrection, who was it but James and John, Peter and John that were running to the, the sepulcher there to find things out? They, they were often noted as being together. And what a wonderful thing it is that faithful men and women are, are found 
not just as church members, but loving one another and desiring to be around one another and worshiping the Lord. It's an amazing thing. It really is. It's a precious thing. It's truly wonderful to have fellows to worship with, to pray with, and to share the gospel with. Uh, think of times when you've had real hard, hard times in a faithful child of God, either it was at your door or on the phone or whatever, and they just spent time with you in prayer unto the Lord, and, and you, you were together worshiping the Lord uh, as true brothers and sisters in Christ. It truly is a wonderful thing. It's wonderful to have fellows, uh, faithful children of God, to walk in the trials of life with for Christ's sake. You see, when they were going up to the temple, they were making no small stir there. As you as you remember what happens in Acts chapter four, these same two, and as the people spake, and as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them and grieved, and being grieved that, that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they laid hands on them, and that wasn't to, to ordain them, that, that that was to arrest them, you see. So it truly is wonderful to have fellows to walk with in the trials of life, particularly when when faithful people are continuing for Christ's sake. Isn't it wonderful? It's a hard thing to feel alone. You know, the prophet Elijah, he felt like he was alone, didn't he? And he, 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 he despaired of his life thinking that he was alone. But the Lord said, no, I have reserved some that have not bowed the knee to Baal. But it is, again, wonderful to have fellows to to walk in life, to, to, to worship the Lord with and be encouraged to continue on. Here, the fellow that was with Peter was John and the fellow that was with John was Peter. So they had, in this text, they had one another. There were thousands of other believers, but here they had one another. And sometimes you might think, well, I, I've only got this one friend. Well, thank God for that one friend, <laughs> that one friend that will walk with you. Serving the Lord, truly desiring, truly desiring to serve the Lord. It's, it's a wonderful thing. You also see a feeble man here in verse 2. Look at this feeble man. Now, the Lord works on both ends, okay? You see a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried. And it doesn't say how long that was, but he calls him a man, not a child. So we can say at least a decade, at least 10 years. And it says that they, that they, that they brought him in daily to the gate that he was asking alms. So this was a habitual thing. This guy for a long time, 365 days a year, just boom, 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 boom. For thousands of days, apparently, they had brought him to, to this to this site. He was constantly reminded of his feebleness. He was all the way feeble. He was carried, he was laid, he was helpless, and he was begging. Look at that. A certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered in to the temple. Again, he was carried, he was laid, he was helpless, and he was begging. He had nothing. Apparently, he could not care for himself at all, but had to, But all he could do was, was cry out for help. Well, that's all he could do was cry out for help. You know, again, the Lord working on both ends, that there are some that would suppose that the Lord was cruel for having this man to be lame from his birth. And, and some even would say, well, I can't believe in a God that was so evil that would, that would have a man to be lame from his birth. Well, we're all lame from our birth according to sin. And because of sin, it's not that this man had any sin in particular, but recall what the Lord Jesus Christ said 
of that man who was stricken with blindness. Whose sin is it that this man is blind? Well, it's not that sin so, so much it is that the glory of God or the, the beautiful works of God will be evident in this man's life. You see, when this man, being as feeble as he was, when he was converted, he jumped up, he leapt up, he was praising God. He wasn't cursing God for the days of his lameness. He was praising God for the, for the healing. You see? Some people have these things so, so backwards that they blame God for their, their feebleness. Well, it's because of Adam's fall that men are feeble altogether. This man, apparently, all he could do was beg out and cry. And really, a sinner, that's all that we could do before God is beg out and cry. And even that, he had evidently cried every day. And he had evidently begged and asked alms every day to no avail. He was still there. He hadn't hit the jackpot, so to speak. But he saw Peter and John, and he probably, he probably saw these, these people that they were famous for the recent events. You see, if thousands of people are converted, this lame man might have said, you know what, that's that guy the other day that was talking all that stuff and all those people, that he entranced them with a spell. Maybe he can help me. Maybe, maybe he has what I need. Children of God, if we are living as we ought, as Peter was, was up front with the gospel, he wasn't mean, he wasn't nasty, he wasn't hateful, he was direct. And if we are direct, if we are direct, faithful men and women, boys and girls, if we are, if we are faithful children of God, this world, for one reason or another, will see you. It says, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask an alms. This world will see you, and that's inevitable. Okay, what did the Lord Jesus Christ say? A light on a hill cannot be hid, right? So as dark as this world is, even if you're, whether you're one of these booming lights that you can see for miles, like one of these, uh, what do they call them on, 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 a, on a coast? Uh, a, um, uh, what do they call them? Those, um, a lighthouse. Whether you're a lighthouse or you're, you're a, a big flat uh, lighter out here in a field, it can't be hid in darkness. The world of God sees you. The world, of the, the, the world, this world will see you, your life. They might not like it. They might not appreciate it. They might scatter like roaches, but this world sees you. That man saw Peter and John. What do they see? And I ask myself this, what do they see? Do they see someone that could help? Do they see one that, that presumably has answers? Do they, do, they speak, do they see one that presumably has something that could help? I pray to God that they do. May our lives be consistent with those things that we believe. If one truly feeble knows their infirmity and knows they're in need, do they see me? Do they see you? Do they see us as a group and as individuals, as those that can help? I've told you all before, years ago, I was working in a hospital. I hadn't been there very long, and there was a man who was afraid to die. And, and the, the day shift nurse came and talked to me and said, hey, you need, to, you need to go talk to this person. Wasn't my patient for the evening, but you need to go talk to this person. I didn't know anything. The Lord, I'd only been saved a few months, but this person had perceived that I that I could be someone that could help. Does the world perceive us that we are someone that could help in their times of distress? Look what happens here, and I encouraged the group as we went out yesterday, verses three through five. 
You had a, some faithful men. You had a feeble man. Now you have some fastening eyes, verses 3 through 5, who, who seeing Peter and John asked to, uh, about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. Not that they could save him. Look on us. Hold your attention here. And he gave him heed. And he gave heed unto them expecting to receive something of them. Look on us. I can't stress this enough about our public witness. How how intent are we? And we can't save people with our eyes and we can you know we, we just can't. But I believe but and it says not just Peter fastening his eyes. It says Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John. So I believe Peter and John were both locked on. This man would have been looking at Peter because Peter was speaking. But both of these men, both of these men fastened their eyes upon that man in need. They had a desire unto that man as an individual, as one that cried out for help. They had other business going on. You know, sometimes we can think that our business over here or over there is so important that we can't stop what we're doing and fasten our eyes. But I tell you what, somebody asks for help, you fasten on to that person. You have a a God-given opportunity to tell them of the only one who can help. And I don't care if they're asking for help for finance or, or, or advice in life or whatever. Your advice to them is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You fasten on them. You take that time. You take that care. We are to fasten our eyes upon sinners in desperate need. They might not know their need. This man, his needs were carnal, so we thought. They, he might have had no idea he had need of salvation, but children of God, we know the needs of the people. We know that we live in a lost and dying world, and soon it's all going to come to an end. And Jesus Christ will save his people from their sins. And he will do so at the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, granting the new birth, bringing the new birth. Yes, child of God, fasten your eyes. Fasten your eyes upon sinners in desperate need. Consider their end. I mean, when I, when I heard news of a man that I care very much about, that he, uh, he was given a, 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 a diagnosis uh, considering his end, on one hand, I, I, I feel so bad for him and his for, for his family and, and the church there. But on the other end, on the other side, in just a little while, he's going to be in the presence of his dear Savior. That that, that brings comfort to the believer. That precious, that's precious uh, for a child of God uh, to die. It really is. But when we consider the end of sinners, how, how could we let them go and not, and not plead with them according to the name and reputation, the fame of Jesus Christ? How can we let our eyes just be subtle and glance over and not fasten onto them according to their need? When we consider the end, yes, we should fasten onto sinners and not let them go. We should also consider their only cure. Considering their only cure. 
you know, if he were to say, yes, okay, well, well, listen to me, all you got to do is this, this, and this, and this, well, he, he could have blown it off, right? But their only cure is something that he doesn't have. The only cure is something that can't be given out. He can't just write a prescription and hand it to the druggist and say, give it to this man for a cure. Considering this man as a man, it says, and excuse me, in verse 4, and Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John. At the hour of prayer, there may, have been, there may have been thousands of people gathered at the temple. But the Peter and John, there was one man in front of them. One man. So considering all these things, how can we but fasten our eyes upon sinners? If we count ourselves as faithful men and women, and we see that we're surrounded by feeble men and women, boys and girls, children of God, I beg you, fasten your eyes upon those in need. This appears as though Peter was intently concerned for this man, and his eyes could not be broken away from this man. Such was John as well, Peter and John both. People come into the, the clinic. I know that I run behind almost every day. And I know that there's a whole bunch of people in that waiting room waiting for their time. But guess what? When someone's in the room with me, I've, I've got my eyes. I'm with addressing their needs. You might have in your life waiting room. There, there's people who are waiting on this and that and whatever. But you have the appointed time with feeble men and women in front of you, children of God, I encourage you. Again, you can't save them by fastening your eyes, but them fastening their eyes upon them tells a whole lot about their hearts also being fastened on this man. I encourage you to be fastened. You see here also a command of fame and reputation. Look at this. It's so wonderful. Verses 6 and 7. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. Now, before we go further, don't lie to people. Just quoting this verse, don't lie to people. Don't say to people, well, I don't have any money when you got a pocket full of money. Don't lie to people. Okay? Say something else, but don't lie to them. It's never okay to lie to people. I don't believe he was lying to them. So Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So Peter doesn't have the ability. And we're going to study this, Lord willing, next time. Peter tells the group by what ability this man was healed. Okay, So this wasn't Peter's ability. What he has is the fame or the reputation or the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Okay, And that's what we have to. We don't have ability. To, come, to, to make people to walk, but God does. We don't have the ability to, to remove cancers, but God does. We don't have the ability to heal people physically in this sense, but God does. But he's not just talking about the carnal and the body. Here he's talking about in the name of the reputation and the fame and the glory of Jesus Christ. Here he goes back to what was preached in Acts chapter 2, speaking of repentance and, and calling upon the name of the Lord and being saved or delivered. This isn't just a, a physical healing, but this we'll see is a, is a full recovery. But Peter didn't heal this man. The Lord did according to his 
fame, according to his reputation, according to his name, and according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. If he had just said Jesus, that, that was a not uncommon name, Jehovah is salvation. But calling Jesus Christ, Messiah, the anointed one, that one who stood in the place of sinners, that fit substitute, that one that, 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 that God Almighty judged for the sins of his people, he's calling him both Lord and Christ. At his name, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. The very fact that this man rose up gives us indication that he believed in the name, the fame, the reputation, the glory, the gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Otherwise, it may have been as Agrippa. Oh, you almost persuaded me. Ha, that gimmick, you almost got me. No, that, I believe that man was granted faith and repentance. That, that, that man was grant, granted trust in Jesus. He was born again, I believe. But you look at that command of fame. When we go out into a lost and dying world, we don't command people by their will. If you're commanding people by their will to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you've missed the mark. And if you're commanding people by their ability, their ability you have missed the mark. No, this man, Peter, he commanded him how? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Based on his fame, based on his ability, based on what he did, rise up and walk. This outward command of rising and walking will be a demonstration of a complete work. If this man relied on any other name, fame, or reputation, if you just reach up here, God will save you. No. Then there would have been no success. Remember Peter, as the Lord bid him to come out on the water? When he looked upon Christ, the Lord, he walked on water, didn't he? When he looked anywhere else, he sank like a rock. That's right. If this man would have been trusting in any other name than Jesus Christ of Nazareth, there would have been no walking that day of that man. That's right. But only by this name, the fame, the reputation, the glory, the gospel of Jesus that is called Christ, the Lord, was this event possible? What a beautiful command. We can reasonably know that this man trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. By the power of God, he was granted repentance unto life. And the evidence of that. Remember when the Lord, there was a man laying before him. He said, what's harder? Paraphrasing. What's harder for me to say to this man, take up thy bed and walk or thy sins be forgiven. But to show you people, take up your bed and walk. Remember that? This man sins, I believe, at the name, fame, reputation of Jesus Christ. Was His sins were forgiven according to that fame. And you see that this command is fulfilled immediately. Verses 6 and 7. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Immediately. Now, some people believe just as much as they believe that 
that there was some kind of gap theory in creation, that there's some kind of gap theory in salvation, that, that oh yeah, the, I believed way back then, but it took hold years or weeks or months later. No. I believe when the Lord saves somebody, then that's, there's an immediate effect. Hey, something's different. That guy, he was this, but now he's that. She was this, but now she's that. There's an immediate, by this, by this fame, by this reputation, according to the glory of God, there is an immediate change. There's an immediate change. He immediately had faith. Immediately he had strength of body, his feet and his ankle bones and all his supportive structures. You know what? All that stuff deteriorates so fast. Sister Nilda, she can nod her head. How long does it take for muscles to start breaking down laying in a bed? This man was lame his whole life. Well, guess what? He didn't have to go down here to Fraser physical therapy for a month to regain his ankle bones. This guy was jumping. It says he was leaping. Verse 8, and leaping he stood. You see? Leaping. There was an immediate strength that was given. Immediately he had strength of mind. Think of the depression that laid on this man. Even if he was given alms from day to day, it wouldn't sustain him. He'd have to come back the next day. It says he was there day by day. But immediately, immediately the fame or reputation of, of God Almighty gave this man a faith and an optimism where just it just wasn't there before. It just wasn't. But as we go out with the gospel, and as we are even at home with the gospel, the command is, is based on trusting God Almighty for all these works, for this, for this work that he grants. You see a full recovery. What effect did it have on his soul? Well, before, look at verse 8. And leaping up, and he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. How did this affect his soul? Well, before, he was asking for earthly things. Now he's content with spiritual things. Guess what? His, his first thing that he did, he joined himself with the people of God and entered into the temple. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. Praise God. How did it affect his soul where he didn't hang out with the, the, those that he was before? He, he's, he's, he, he now has new company and he, and he now uses the strength that God gave him and, and following the people of God as they, as they saw fit to worship there in the temple in the house of prayer. He was praising God. Look at that in verse 8. Leaping stood up and walking and walked and entered with them into the temple walking and leaping and praising God. It seems like he's pretty excited about the work that God had done for him. Not the work that Peter had done for him, but the work that God had done for him. Amazing and wonderful. That's a, that's a total transformation, isn't it? A full recovery. Well, how did this affect his body? Well, obviously, he went from feeble to fully recovered. He was going from being carried to jumping. Now, some of us can't, can't hardly jump. I couldn't hardly jump over a broomstick, but this guy was, this guy was leaping. I, be, I believe that he, he, he was given some, as they say, hops. The Lord, the Lord gave him an ability to leap for joy. It was no small thing. This was no hidden thing. This is a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing. Again, how did it affect his mind? I believe this is a full recovery. He was down, depressed, and daily drained of hope and expectation. He knew, or he perceived rather, that the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day until he died, he would be there laying a beggar. 
But now he's leaping and praising God, and he's full of cheer and delight. He's full of hope and expectation. He doesn't know what's in store next, but he knows it's going to be wonderful. A full recovery. So then we have to ask ourselves, I ask myself, how, how has salvation impacted me? Has there been a full recovery? Mind, body, and soul. There are people that, that think about their body, how, how, how that they have reformed their body and their mind, but there's been no effect on the soul. They praise themselves for this program or what they can do or whatever. But I believe um, immediately, immediately when the Lord saves people by his fame and reputation in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I believe that there is a full recovery. Are we still sinners? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it does have an effect. You see here a find most wonderful and amazing, verses 9 and 10. Acts chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. doesn't mean that they agreed with it. They just saw him doing it. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. Again, wonder. They were dumbfounded. They were astonished in amazement. They, they had blended fear and wonder. What are we looking at? What, what is this? For they, were fit, for they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. This man was the genuine article. You, know, you, you can disagree with what people believe and whatever, but when you see a transformation like this, there is no one that could refute it. And that's what we're going to study in Acts chapter 4 too. Nobody could say, no, you know what? That didn't really happen. This was done out in the open. It was unmistakable who he once was. Chapter 3, verse 10, the first part. They knew that it was he that sat for alms at the beautiful gate. Nobody could refute what he was. And nobody could now refute who he is now. Verse 9, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. It was irrefutable. He was that, now he's this. Irrefutable, unmistakable. John Jasper, the old slave preacher, said, if you is what you was, you ain't. In a moment, mind, body, and soul, there were people that didn't believe what he believed, and they didn't have what he had, but they knew this man had been changed. The name of Jesus Christ had an impact on the lives of this man, on the life of this man, and I believe today. The name, the fame, the reputation, the gospel of Jesus Christ has an impact on the lives that he touches. Those of former knowledge and company know, even in their unbelief, they know, hey, something happened to that guy. He used to hang out with us. Now he doesn't. He used to do this, this, and this. And now we, what ha- something happened. That's right. The former knowledge and company uh, that we once kept often are left in wonder and amazement. They're dumbfounded. What happened? Sometimes it does bring a blended fear. What happened? What happened to that guy? You know, some, some findings are less notable. There are some. You know, if you, were, if you were following Paul's life, he called himself the chief of sinners, but he was blameless under the law. To some, he might say, okay, well, he's, he's continuing in... in in the things according to the law, but they would have definitely seen a change in his behavior. They would have seen a change in, in his uh, mom- momentum of personhood, you would say. That's right. Even a child, you'll see a difference. Even in a child, there will be a noticeable You cannot have 
something so big as God Almighty impact you and there not be a change. It was, it's a finding most wonderful. You know, when someone says they're saved and there's not a finding most wonderful and amazing, ask them about it. What happened? What happened? Oh, I trust that I did this. I did that. Okay. I'm having trouble where connecting is the, to the internet. Check your where, where is that full recovery? Where is that finding most amazing? If someone strives to produce it themselves, they can't. You know, that, that's, this is something only God can produce. You see, it was the name or the fame or the reputation of Jesus Christ, according to his gospel, that made this finding most wonderful and amazing. It's not a state of reformation. It's not a state of, of turning over a, a, a dead leaf, which is still a dead leaf. And here you see a favorable time or opportunity for the gospel. Read verse 11 with me. You see, you see these people, they're gathering around. They're they just amazed. What's going on? They, they had a blended fear. What happened? And as the lame man, which was healed, held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch. That is called Solomon's greatly wondering. Now we're going to read. We're going to read and study verses 12 through 26 next time. Peter gives them, again, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it looks a whole lot, not word for word, but it looks a whole lot like what he said in chapter 2. <coughs> but what a wonderful time. What a favorable time to share the gospel. What happened? What's different? Something happened. You're not what you used to be. What happened? What brought this change? What happened? There are a lot of people that say that they're saved and they don't have, there's never an occasion to say, what happened? Just as much as we should expect a recovery and salvation, there should also be a favorable testimony. There should be a favorable testimony. Some have a change, but it's accompanied with what, what did I do? This is what I did. Look, if you would, just for a moment, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Oh, yeah, I, I'm changed, but let me tell you. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, verse 21, Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. What's that? Repent. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Haven't, oh, haven't I made a show of things? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Ye that work. You, you work. Your works. You that work iniquity. Some people have a change, but it's accompanied by, by what I did, by what they did. Some people have a testimony, but there's no change. Mm. You know anybody like that? Oh, yes, I've been saved, but they're the same person that they were. Romans chapter 6. We could read the whole chapter, but we'll just read the first couple verses. Chapter 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? There is a full recovery, you see. So to have a testimony of salvation, but never never a, a testimony of a conversion or repentance, there's something wrong with that. And some neither have testimony or change, but claim lineage, history, knowledge, desire, whatever. If you have your place still in Romans chapter, or you can look at Romans chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. 
For he saith unto to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not it is not of him that willeth, nor him that runneth. It's not if you want to or work to. But of God that showeth mercy. It's God that grants repentance. It's God that does the work. It's the name, fame, reputation, and honor. The glory of God, Jesus Christ, according to his gospel. Amen. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. God initiates the thing. Even to them that believe on his name, God initiates it. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of man. It's not because you want to, but, but of God. Nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This man was healed of God, not because he wanted to, because no doubt every day he sat there, he must have thought, I'm here because I'm lame. Surely he would have wanted to. And certainly his parents or those that carried him would have said, you know what, if there's something we can do to help, let me help. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. What was this? It was a favorable time. And again, we'll read it 12 through 26 next time. This was a favorable opportunity for this man or Peter on behalf of this man to say, let me tell you what happened. This guy was a sinner and this guy was lame. And Jesus Christ, the Lord, the promise of God unto Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, this God healed him of his lameness. And not only that, but saved him from his sins. Verse 19, we'll get to it. He says, repent ye therefore and be converted. This is, this is more than just a, a, a cured disease. This is an issue of eternal importance. But what a favorable time. What a favorable time for one that has experienced the grace of God and there is a change in their lives to say loudly, Jesus save me from my sin. A favorable time. Well, child of God, every day until you die, you have a favorable time to broadcast the gospel of Jesus Christ. There were some faithful men you saw at the first. May we, may each of us be faithful. There was a feeble man, and such is the case of every person left alone in their sins. May we acknowledge that. Some, they fastened their eyes. May we fasten our eyes upon sinners with compassion, knowing eternity is at hand. There was a command of fame and Christ's fame alone, not in logic, not in reason, not in ability, not in thoughts, not if I say it just the right way, they'll believe it. No, in the name of the fame or reputation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the lame are healed. Preach his name. There's a full recovery and we should expect it every time, every, every time the gospel is presented, we should expect a full recovery because God is able, not that I'm able or you're able God is able, God is able to bring full recovery to those who are in need. We should expect a fine, most wonderful and amazing. You know, John never really got over it that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. He never got over it. I believe he died dumbfounded that God Almighty would save him from his sins in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may it so be with us and 
And as we see souls saved, doesn't aren't we, aren't we just thrilled and, and have a, a blend of fear and wonder that, that God Almighty saves his people from their sins, that the highest of highs, the, the Lord God above all has pity on such pitiful sinners such as ourselves? You know what? It's a favorable time. What, what do people do when they're saved? Well, they... They, they say, the Lord has saved me. It's a favorable time. It's always the right time to tell what Jesus Christ did for you. It's always the right time. Sinner, I want you to hear this also. You're feeble. You're, you're carried. You're helpless. You're a beggar before God. You just don't know it. You just don't know it. The command and the name, the fame, the reputation, glory of God, Jesus Christ, repent and trust in him and be saved. Again, chapter 3 and verse 19, repent ye therefore and be converted. But his reputation, not on what you can do, based on what he did, his death, burial, and resurrection, how that he substituted for his people, for sinners, the just for the unjust, bearing the sin and iniquity of his people, paying that debt in full. There's only one one true kind of of recovery. Having a form of religion is not recovery. It's a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. That's not full recovery. Reforming a lifestyle is not recovery, but it's mixing the poison of sin with the poison of self-righteousness. That's not recovery. You know, sometimes you add medicine and the the symptoms of that medicine means you need more medicine and those symptoms you need more medicine. That's not recovery. True recovery comes at the great physician. At the name of Jesus Christ, this man rose up, leaping, praising God, walking into the temple. Now is the favorable time. Now is the favorable time of salvation. Look just for a moment, if you would, in First, Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, and we'll close with this. Second Corinthians, chapter six, and verse two. For he saith, Second Corinthians, chapter six, and verse two. For he saith, I have heard thee in the time accepted. Wait, heard thee. Acts chapter 2 and verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I have heard thee in the time accepted. And in the day of salvation have I succored thee or comforted thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I can't save you. You can't save you. Who causes the sinner? To call out in the time accepted. What is the time accepted? Who providence is it? That's all God's business, but I want you to hear, sinner. Just as much as it always the favorable time to broadcast the gospel, there is no other time than now. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, there were probably a lot of crippled people. There were probably a lot of crippled people on, on, uh, on the way into the temple that day. Probably a lot of people who were begging. Probably a lot of people that had things going on and carried and so on and so forth. There was one man that looked on Peter and John. And there was one man that they fastened on him providentially. There was one man that was given the testimony. And I don't know, Peter and John might have, had to, said, might have said the same thing a hundred times on the way to the temple. But this man... 
by the power of God, based on the fame, the reputation, the name of Jesus Christ, he stood up and walked. In that day, now was the accepted time. Now was the day of salvation. I would encourage you today, now, to call upon the name of the Lord, to repent. Turn your back on yourself. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone and his gospel. And be ye saved. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.